Hello, welcome to In the Kitchen with Brett Thorne, a podcast by Restaurant Hospitality. I'm your host, Senior Food and Beverage Editor Brett Thorne, recently returned from the National Restaurant Association show in Chicago. It was the first time the show had been held since 2019, and it seemed like all the food manufacturers had been doing in the meantime was develop new types of plant-based protein, mostly, it seemed, made from pea protein. The show directory listed 51 different exhibitors of plant-based protein, including meatless beef, chicken, and pork, eggs, canned tuna, raw salmon, crab cakes, and more. The exhibitors of those foods were unabashedly proud, some even arrogant about the strides they'd made in getting members of the plant kingdom to taste like members of the animal kingdom. They clearly have convinced a bunch of investors in the promise of plant-based protein, but operators I spoke to were less convinced. No one likes the flavor of pea protein, one person told me, which clearly isn't true. I do know people who love it, and I'm told that in taste tests, some people even prefer it to meat. And then... Carl's Jr., a chain that was an early adopter of Beyond Meat, which, along with Impossible Foods, is one of the leaders in the category, recently added a new meatless product to its menu as part of a promotional tie-in to the film Jurassic World Dominion, which is in theaters nationwide starting July 10. Though if you're near Carl's Jr., you can get their plant-based protein now, as well as their other menu items. Uh, feature movie tie-ins like Amber Sauce, which uh, is a reference to the amber in which the DNA of dinosaurs was originally found in the original movie. Anyway, the extension of their plant-based products uh, indicates that, at the very least, Beyond Meat is selling well enough at Carl's Jr. to stay on the menu. Then again, it could be that the chefs are dressing it up well enough so that you mostly taste the condiments and toppings, and not the meat itself. I have to confess that I am not a lover of pea protein. I love peas. I love their sweetness and their green freshness, both of which are stripped away to make pea protein, which I find off-putting. I'm aware of the movement to eat less meat, to be gentler on the planet, but that's an argument that loses ground when you stop replacing beef and start replacing chicken, eggs, and seafood, which aren't nearly the greenhouse gas producers that beef is supposed to be. Of course, there are other issues having to do with the health of our oceans that we have to consider when eating seafood, but we're getting better at sustainable or even restorative aquaculture, and monitoring of wild fisheries continues to improve. Of course, there are also animal welfare issues, and certainly if you don't want to eat animals for moral reasons, I respect that. But vegetables are delicious. If you just quickly blanch peas with salt, they taste good. Why would you want to smash them, process them, and force them to resemble meat? I don't know, maybe a few years from now, you'll laugh at me and my narrow-minded view of plant-based protein. Or maybe you'll laugh at the plant-based protein that was acceptable in today's market compared to what no doubt will be tastier, healthier, and more environmentally sound than what we have today. Maybe it will be a better pea protein, or maybe it will be delicious vegetables, or maybe it will be fungus, like mushrooms, 
I did enjoy the pulled shiitake stems that were on exhibit at the show. We mostly eat shiitake caps, so one producer took the stems, mixed them with coconut oil and tapioca starch, and created a food that could take the place of meat preparations, while still very clearly being mushrooms. Or maybe we'll make strides with lab-grown meat made from cells taken from animals which get to live out their lives while their cells are cultured and fed and grown and turned into wholesome, delicious meat. We're not there yet, but I think we will be soon. Time will tell, I guess. At any rate, my guest today is Amelie Kong, an avowed meat eater and the co-founder of Mala Project, a three-unit chain specializing in Szechuan dry pot which features the spicy and tingly taste sensation that is the hallmark of so much of Szechuan cooking. I think you'll enjoy her, so stay tuned because here she is. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thank you. From, you're originally from Tangshan, right? Mm-hmm. North of Beijing? Yes. In, in the Northeast? Uh, northeast. Uh, and well, why don't why am I asking you all this stuff when I already know? Why don't you tell us about yourself and Mala Project, which now has how many locations? So this is our third location. Um, we're working on two more, hopefully this year. Um, so I came to America in 2010. Um, I was 18 years old to go to the CIA, and graduated in 2014 and I started Mala Project with my partners. So you, why did you come to the U.S. to go to culinary school? Surely there's culinary schools in China. We, yes, I originally was planning to study advertising or media. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized that I enjoyed baking much more than the other career. Um, I didn't like the idea of sitting in an office um, we didn't have any college that specialized in culinary arts, so I was Googling when Google is still, you can still use Google in China back right. then, yeah. Um, I was Googling and CIA came up, and it was only really, I only had two options. One is the Culinary Institute of America, one mm-hmm. is Johnson & Wales, and it seemed like more people agree with the CIA more, so I just applied for two. I got uh, accepted, um, and I chose the CIA. How did your family feel about you becoming, first of all, going to America, and also becoming a cook, which is not, you know, the most prestigious profession? Yeah, not very happy about that. (laughs) (laughs) My mom didn't, when I pitched my mom the idea, I was already uh, taking baking classes as a hobby. I was very good at it. And when I pitched her this idea, she didn't even let me finish my pitch. Um, So I had to convince her, I had to put together a lot of, like, basically a PowerPoint to show her, oh, look at all these amazing chefs, and they have really good life, and you can make an impact. And um, my dad has always been on my side and just supported whatever I'm passionate about. but with my mom, it literally took me a month to convince her. But it worked, I guess, because yes. you went to the CIA, graduated, and then uh, is uh, Mala Project your first restaurant? Mm-hmm. And why don't you tell our audience what Ma and La mean? So Ma means numbing from the numbing sensation from citron peppercorn, mm-hmm. and La means spicy 
So mala is a very um, signature flavor profile from the Sichuan cuisine. But you are not from Sichuan. You are from the Northeast. So uh, why did you decide to to focus on the mala uh, yeah. aspect of Chinese cuisine? So mala dry pad was something very nostalgic for me. And it was fairly a new dish that um, really got popular in the 90s in China. Um, it's a very work-proud-friendly dish. Um, you basically you can customize your dry pot, you can pick whatever ingredients you want, you can pick your spicy level. It comes with all these different spices and meats, vegetables, uh, fish, tofu, um, and you can make it as spicy as you like. So it's a very metropolitan friendly dish. Um, so my, my family and I would go get mild dry pot every week on the weekend. Um, I was pretty surprised when I moved to New York that there isn't a dry pot restaurant in uh, in Manhattan. You can find them in the food court in Flushing, but um, so I was kind of shocked by that, thinking New York should have everything, right. um, but they didn't have my dry pot. So um, that was the primary reason, and the secondary reason is that it's uh, operationally is very. It's safer and easier to operate than a regular, like a full-on Sichuan restaurant. Um, so you just the business made sense. So we have hot pot restaurants mm-hmm. in uh, in New York, but dry pot. Can you explain what that is? Is that you take all the food together and you kind of stir fry it? And yeah, with dry pot, it, you don't cook on the it, the dish is already cooked in the kitchen. You can. Um, we feature about 70 different ingredients on our menu, and the guests can choose, for example, a dry pot of five different ingredients. Um, and you maybe you'll have sliced beef, bok choy, Chinese cabbage, tofu, and quail egg. Mm. And I want it to be spicy, so the chef makes it and uh, it's brought out and you have a side of rice or maybe a side of noodle with it. So it's very fun. Or you can have a dry pot of 30 different ingredients that you're sharing with a, a group of people. Um, so that's essentially why dry pot is such a fun and customizable uh, meal. And it all comes out and it's sort of family style and mm-hmm. everybody shares. Yeah. And when did you open your first uh, Mala project? We opened end of 2015. So it took us a year to prepare. Well, that's not bad. <laughs> how, how, how did you uh, manage to get funding to open a restaurant? I basically asked my mom for some money. Um, I didn't want to be fully funded by my family. So I had my partner. They were basically just friends that I met uh, through working. And they put in some money, and we did everything ourselves. It was very cheap, considering how much work we had to do, um, but we made it happen. And where was your first location? Mm, East Village, uh, First Avenue, and St. Mark's. Makes sense. That's a good place for Asian cuisines in general, yeah. although more Japanese there than Chinese. We were targeting the international students, like myself, Oh yeah. Um, so that we, we chose East Village, and we hung out in East Village all the time. I didn't expect to have primarily local customers for the first six months. We didn't have any international Chinese students that we wanted, um, but it was, it, I guess it was a good thing, it was a good sign for us to see, but it was surprising. 
So you didn't get Chinese students. You got everybody Not, else. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is, that's a good sign. Mm-hmm. Why do you think Chinese people didn't want to come and eat your food? I just didn't think they knew. Um, back then, it wasn't... Uh, people were getting most information through something called WeChat. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just starting... Like, the WeChat platforms... Um, or I guess the outlet that was share where to eat or to drink, they didn't really start until later in 2015, uh, 2016. Um, that's when all these food bloggers started emerging and they would start writing about uh, local restaurants where to go out uh, for the Chinese audience. And as soon as we were covered by those bloggers, we got, our, our, um, uh, we got the, the word out basically. And how do people normally order your food? Like, what, what, what's like a typical dish that people would order at your restaurant? So now we get a lot of group um, groups that come in. Um, a very typical, on a table, a very typical scene you would see is maybe one or two dry pot of 20 different ingredients. And um, by the side of the dry pot, you will have maybe... Um, piggy and chili oil, um, you probably have a fried rice, um, you might have our Chinese fried chicken, um, and you might have a steamed eggplant um, that as an appetizer and some cocktails. Piggy and chili oil. Yeah. So how is is that like a dry crunchy pig ear or is it a braised soft pig ear or yeah so we braise it for i think five hours with spices and then we uh, freeze it and then we slice them on um like the slice meat slicer slice it really thin and then, then we toss it in chili oil um soy sauce and different seasonings and we like let it soak overnight um so it comes out it's it's a cold dish, but it's very appetizing, and there's tons of flavor packed in it. Yeah, I think cold dishes in Chinese cuisine... I lived in China for a year. I studied there. Oh, and okay. so I had no idea that there were these cold dishes that would, you just have as appetizers at the beginning of the meal. It might be some peanuts. It might be some cucumber. It might be some tendon. could be any yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. And so that kind of cold dish is, is catching on in, among your customers, at least? I, I see that for sure. Um, you do get some comments. One of my favorite dish is a cold chicken dish. And I think people... Is that why uh, word G? Uh, it's called kou shui ji. Oh, yeah, so I have a chicken. Yeah, the spicy, <laughs> the spicy sauce is uh-huh, different. Uh-huh. Um, so I think people, some people feel like they would try it. Some people, it's not a required taste because once you do try it, it's very good. It's so um, but I think the idea of having cold chicken might be a little bit more foreign. I guess you should call it saliva chicken. That is, that is that's what I called it the first time I had that in yeah. uh, Vancouver. Uh-huh. Um, mouthwatery chicken. That's a better name, isn't it? <laughs> but that, that's the idea. The translation chicken. also it doesn't help us. It's saliva yeah. chicken, but it, it's also koshui, which means saliva, mouthwatery. Yeah, yeah. So it's a good dish. Yeah, yeah, it's a good dish. Um, and so your customers are into that. You opened in 2015, uh, and then there was a pandemic mm-hmm. where people were, were anti-Asian and all the business was shut down. So how did you guys get through that? Um, we were very lucky since we already had a pretty solid takeout and delivery business base. 
we basically just survived off of delivery and takeout without having to build everything from uh, scratch. Right, you already had it. Yeah, we already had it, and our customers were very supportive. They were ordering from us, and they were ordering our um, side projects. We were we made a pantry sauce that you put on top of the noodles or. Um, you put it on top of your egg or rice, and that just sold out overnight. Um, and so, definitely a lot of community support. Um, there was the fear of having our window being crashed, so we did have to close for two months so that we can feel safe and our staff was feel safe because they were traveling from Flushing, and you know it's not a like. A, that it's a very stressful time to get on the subway. Right. Yeah. So we did have to close for a while. But then you reopened to yeah. take out and delivery. What's this pantry sauce? What's it like? So we have four flavors. It's spicy beef uh, or spicy mushroom or non-spicy tofu and uh, non-spicy pork, soy pork. Um, my every house or every grandma probably have their own recipe and everybody does it differently and you put it you batch make it you put it in jars and you just take out and put it on top of whatever rice or noodles um, so our chef made four interpretations of these four sauces um, and you can use it for anything you can use it for like put it on your steak and it'll taste really good. Or your eggs, yeah, as good. you said. Yeah. Mm. And how, is that something that you just developed in-house and then just sold in jars and stuff? You yeah. didn't, like, contract it out to a manufacturer or anything like that? No, I really do think it'll sell really well because just how good it is. And not just because it's from our restaurant, um, but we didn't have the, the, the manpower to build a business out of it. Um, maybe in the future we'll bring it back. Yeah. I'd buy it. <laughs> so so you have the one in the East Village and where and then we we are now located on the in the uh midtown east one. Mm-hmm. And then there's another one also, right? Yeah, forty six and six. Bryant Park. Yeah. Great. And and how are they doing? It's coming back. We're not fully back to our pre pandemic capacity. Um but it's we're hanging there we're about 70 percent 80 percent to where we were before no that's not bad and uh did takeout and delivery was it did it go up and stay up after the pandemic um it did it did we were for a long period of time we were solely relying on um takeout and delivery at our that that midtown location mm-hmm. um whereas East Village, people were going out, people were drinking, and um, Midtown just took a little bit longer. And still, the office is not fully back yet. Right. Yeah, Yeah, I came into the office today just because I was going to talk with you. But otherwise, I'm working from home. Yeah. And my bosses are reasonably okay with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, And it seems like everybody has kind of uh, had to adjust to that. So... Are there ways you're, I don't know, trying to find a different customers in your Midtown location besides the office workers? As you said, it's such a friendly, hey, it's after work. Let's all go out to Mala Project and get, yeah. get dry pot. Yeah. Midtown West is interesting because you have your uh, local, you have the office worker, you have the residents, you have tourists, you have pre-theater goers. 
so it's always the most like dynamic customer base. Um, I think right now we're just trying to gauge on what are the people that are still coming in. I think um, definitely getting more tourists than before um, and less office workers um, as of right now. So we're trying to gauge what this summer is going to look like, but not, not too sure. Tourists spend more money, so that's good. Do, do they spend more money on you guys? Or are office workers on an expense account? I think, I think tourists do spend more money, but they, um, because of our, our, our concept, it's really intense to choose 10 ingredients for your dry pot, and then you choose like maybe four, four or five other things on top of it. So the ordering process, they need a little bit adjustment too. Um, but yeah, they, they might drink and it's fine. Maybe you should have some curated dry pots, or do you already, where like you put all the, yeah. like, here's whatever special 10 ingredients. Yeah, we, we have pre-made, or like, uh, recommended combos. Are those popular? They are. Um, I have mixed feelings about them. I think it's very easy, and you have to give what customers, what like, you need to give the customers what they want. Mm -hmm. um, so if people don't want to spend the, the time to decide a dry pot, then you should be able to offer the pre-made combos. Um, back home in China, we never, you know, we don't have pre-made combos. Right. Yeah. But you already know what everything tastes like. Sure. And a lot of the customers here don't necessarily know yeah. what everything tastes like. Yeah, so, so I, I think it's a good thing that we have it. And how did you decide what to put together in those, uh, in those combinations? Was it stuff that you like or? No, we want the balance of, in terms of the, um, texture and nutrition and you want a good mix of meats and veggies ideally um, and even if for the vegetarian part you want a good mix of you want some tofu in there you want some uh, crunchiness in there and you want some softness in there so we try to balance things out in uh, that way um, although the experienced customers they'll come in and order like an all meat dry pot um, and that's just as delicious. Yeah, that's that's their choice. Yeah. But uh, well, when when you order a dry pot, when you would order it growing up, what what kind of foods were your favorite to put in? Um, uh, beef, spam, woodier, fish. Woodier is a type of mushroom. Yeah. 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 Um, those little fish balls. Yeah, yeah and they're they're, um, they're filled with pork grind ground pork inside mm. and there's also this like soup filled uh, beef ball that like it, you bite into it and the soup squirts out so like a soup yeah. dumpling but it's the the dumpling yeah. is actually the meat yeah the meat uh, the meatball um, oh that's fine yeah, yeah. Um, so those are my go-tos I love konjac noodles which are these like little tied noodle ti uh, little tiny noodles tied into knots mm -hmm. and they trap the flavor and the sauce inside well, that's fun yeah. So, not a lot of vegetables when you eat dry pot. Oh, Just wood here. <laughs> no, I love I love me. I I do love mushrooms um, and bok choy. That sounds good. Yeah. Uh, how about some of the the combinations that that you have preset? What are what are some of those on your menu? 
I don't order them, but... <laughs> no, of course not. You're the founder of the Mala Project. You can, like... And you try to get, like... Try, I have to... One thing about this job is that I have to pick ingredients that I usually don't eat. Right. Because you have to try them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just... It comes with the job. So what are some uh, what are some of those ingredients that you wouldn't eat but that go into the dry pot anyway? Um, I think I'm I'm not a fan of glass noodles, although people love glass noodles. That's our one of our best sellers. Um, and there's tofu skin that I I don't enjoy the the texture. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm not a big tofu eater until unless if it's like a cold tofu salad, I'll eat that. Um, but yeah, and then obviously I don't eat enough cabbage and vegetables. To I mean, get that. you could. It's good for you. <laughs> not that I'm going to tell you how to how to eat your food. Yeah, that would no. be weird. Um, so, what plans do you guys have, if any, to expand? Um, so we're working on. The fourth and the fifth one this year. Um, we, we're about to start construction for the fourth location, and that's going to be our very first Brooklyn location. And I've been looking for the next space, the fifth space, um, for months now, and just, just couldn't find anything that we like. So if we are able to find it, we'll open. If not, we'll see. Um, and so, Is there a neighborhood that you're looking for? Um, we're looking at maybe Soho or West Village, but it's also, you know, the, the price is, yeah, yeah. Where in Brooklyn are you opening? Green Point. Oh. Yeah, Manhattan Avenue. That'll be fun. Yeah. I live in a completely different part of Brooklyn, so I can't go there. Where? Park, yeah. Park Slope. Oh, we were looking there, too. That's very, a very, very good neighborhood. I love hanging out there. You know, it's we're now finally getting good Asian restaurants, which we didn't have before. Which one? We have a Thai one called Bangkok Degree that's right oh, near me. Okay. Really good. And I lived in Thailand for a while, so I'm fussy about that. Oh. And the guys who own uh, Damaka are going to open a place in my neighborhood. In uh, Indian? Yeah. Oh, no way. That's awesome. My partner, he's working on a... Uh, I can tell you it's a secret, but he's still working on one there. A oh. Chinese, it's going to be Chinese. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's looking for space now. Because we need, we need more of that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in my neighborhood. Yeah. Um, are there, are there like, Chinese foods in the United States that you, that you miss from, from back home? <laughs> um, a lot. So many. Um, I... I, I can't convince people, but I can't find a scallion pancake I like um, just because the way my grandma makes it, it's just she packs the pancake with scallion, uh, green scallion and five spice. Ooh. Um, it's so, nobody makes it the way she does. And the ones that you can get here are too thin for me, so I don't really enjoy them. Yeah, they're thicker and chewier in China, right? Yeah. And you know the bing that's like plain uh-huh. uh, pancake that doesn't have anything, but it's there's some salt and I miss that. It's too sim- like it's almost too plain for people to order at a restaurant, but it's so simple and you dip it in a like beef stew and you soak the sauce up. So. You know, there's a there's now the the 
trendiest tacos at the moment are birria tacos, which are braised beef. So yeah. maybe there's an opportunity for you to do like a birria bean or something yeah, like yeah. that. I think Chinese Mexican food is can work so perfectly together. Yeah, it's a lot of flavors that, that merge together well. Yeah. You know what, what I miss, and I was only there for a year, but I w- was in Beijing for a semester and they have jianbing there, which have become more popular here, but they don't it's the Shanghai style, and they put too much stuff in it. It's too nice here. Right, it's yes. Nice, yeah. It's supposed to cost no money, yeah. and you just it's just a flat crap with a yotel, a, a fried bread, and an egg, yeah. and a couple of different sauces. Yeah. Eat yeah. it. I think the problem is the dough is too thick here, and they don't put enough, th- uh, enough sauce on, on top. Yeah, but yeah. I miss that. Too. And it's $14 or something, which I, I don't... <laughs> or in China, it costs like two bucks. Right, yeah. yeah. I actually, there's a place in Rochester, New York, I went that had the jambi. Oh. I think just because there was some Chinese person who also missed jambi. It's good? Yeah. Oh, wow. It gave me sense memories of Beijing. Oh, my gosh. That's good to hear. Yeah, do you also, I mean, Tangshan is, is farther north, so are there other specialties in that? City that you miss? Mm, I have. We have. Um, oh, actually, this dish that we have on the menu is called chow bing, and I d- never had it. I didn't have it in when we moved to Beijing, but I had it when I was living in Tangshan. It's basically the pancake, the plain pancake. You mm. cut it up, and you stir fry with the white part of the Chinese cabbage, mm-hmm. and you. Um, put chicken, sliced chicken, Chinese cabbage, and sliced pancake, and some scallion. And so mm. that's a very, it's a very, very good dish, and um, it's a good substitute for fried rice. I was about to say, it sounds like fried rice, but with better with beans. Yes, yeah. but better. Well, yeah. I, I do love rice, but yeah. but Chinese pancakes are yeah. delicious. Yeah, so much good food. Mm-hmm. Um, are there Ingredients that you've tried to add to the menu that were too weird or foreign or whatever for your customers? Yes. <laughs> we, Even though they order pig ears. They, they order pig... I think pig ears... Um, I'm so happy that people accept pig ears. Um, and frog, frog legs. Um, it's been a big hit. We tried to have uh, roosters testicles on the menu. Obviously, that just didn't sell <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, but good for you trying. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we really tried to push it. We had it on the menu for months until we just gave up. Right. Um, it, it was more like a, of a statement rather than to actually make money. Um, there was, we, we tried to have a rabbit dish that um, I think we're going to bring it back. Um, so that was really good. And we also had a, a kidney dish that's uh, to- it's a cold dish. It's braised, and then you toss it with some vinegar, uh, peppercorn oil, and uh, scallion, and it's like very juicy and like almost a little bit chewy texture. It's very good. And when we first had it, um, I think people were, for some reason, they didn't really register. Or people didn't really order that dish, and then. Um, we had it as a special, and it just sold out. Um, so we're, we're going to bring it back to the menu. That's cool. Yeah. So People are changing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, people are into marinated kidney. Mm-hmm. 
rooster testicles? Not yet. No. Probably no, not. That's gonna maybe another five years. Maybe not. Well, how how are they prepared? Are they fried? The testicles? Yeah. It's just um, wok fried with uh-huh. the ingredients. Yeah. That'd be good. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's good for you. It's it might just. Mm, I think the concept is. How do you how do you find I don't want to obsess too much about rooster testicles because they're not even on the menu but how do you find ingredients like that are there like Chinese suppliers Yeah we have specialty purveyor that sources these things for us um, certain things get really hard to get um, for example some of the spices we have we have to get from China um, and you know with the pandemic and things take longer it's it's it can be a pretty uh, complicated process. Has there been anything that you've run out of that you've just had to say, oh, I guess we're not doing this right now? Um, at some point, some of the medicines we do run, run out. The good thing is they are so pungent, so they you only use a little bit. Um, and if one is missing, there's still like another 23 on in the mix. So it's not a huge deal breaker, but... Ideally, you do want to have everything because it's a balance. Um, and luckily, we're, we've been able to find that. So by, by medicines, you mean like traditional Chinese herbal remedies, that kind of thing? Yeah, but you only use a, just a little bit right. of flavor. But they also work for health and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. I think you've answered all my questions. Thank you. Thank you. That for, was so fun. Oh, I enjoyed it. Thanks yeah. so much for spending the time. Is there anything else you want to talk about? That covered a lot. That was a lot of fun questions.